Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 576. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. I'm a little bit late in getting this show out. It is now quarter to two on a Tuesday. I always record it about quarter to nine, quarter to ten on a Tuesday morning. We now have a little puppy called Daisy, Daisy the Dwarfman, nine weeks old, and I'm run ragged, and I can't get into a pattern. I can't get into a rhythm, and it's doing me head in. I've got a little five-minute window to get this show out. She's fast to sleep let's just keep like that let's just enjoy the show so i can get back on being run ragged so now we have got some fantastic fiction by aliette de boudard but just before that a big thank you to our patreon supporters it is fantastic we are on 434 and i think that's what we're on all the time to be honest it just doesn't even after the the kind of kerfuffles and all the kind of ups and downs of payday but anyway, a huge thank you to Sean Tomlinson. Sean, sir, thank you very much indeed. Justin Coven, thank you. Coven? Covino, yes, Justin, thank you. And Maria Angelo Giro. <laughs> Just up that pledge as well. Thank you so much, Maria. That is fantastic. Don't forget, at the end of this month as well, or sorry, the beginning, you know, the, the the March, first week in March, we will be putting out the serial of the John Brunner. The Martian Phoenix is coming to Patreon as well. If you want to get a hold of that, that would be fantastic. Anyway, shall we jump into the main fiction? And like I say, it is The Everlasting Wisdom by Aliette de Boudard. Elliot lives and works in Paris. She is the author of the critically acclaimed Obsidian and Blood Trilogy of Aztec Noir Fantasies, as well as numerous short stories which have gone to two Nebula Awards, a Locus Award and two British Science Fiction Awards. Association Awards. And she's also been on the sofa notes as well. And we played stories 109. Yes, sure, 109. If you go all the way back there, we had Elliot on as well. Fantastic. Her space opera books include The Tea Master and The Detective, a murder mystery set in space station in a Vietnamese galactic empire inspired by the character of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Recent works include The Dominion of the Fallen series. Set in the turn of the century Paris, devastated by magical war which compromised... The House of Shattered Wings. Oh, fantastic, great story that is. And its standalone sequel... 
the House of Binding Thorns. Now, this story is narrated by... Amy H. Sturgis! Ames! Amy H. Sturgis holds a PhD in intellectual history from the Vanderbilt University and specialises in both science fiction and indigenous American studies. Since 2008, she has been contributing monthly to looking back at genre history segments for Starship Sober, editor-in-chief of Hocus Pocus Comics and faculty at the Lenore Ryan University. And that's probably not how you see it anyways. Sturgis! Sturgis lives. Sturgis lives with her husband in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Candy Mountains. Eve, man, I've got this five minutes spare, Eve. That's all. I'm giddy. I'm giddy with excitement. She lives in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. Learn more about her award-winning work at amyhsturgis.com. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. In Everlasting Wisdom The path to enlightenment is through obedience to wisdom, and who is wiser than the Everlasting Emperor? It's the words that keep IT going day after day, the ceaseless flow of wisdom from the appeaser within her, reminders that the Everlasting Emperor loves her and her sacrifice, that she's doing her duty day after day, making sure that nothing discordant or dissident can mar the harmony that keeps the empire together. Her daily rounds take her through the inner rings of Vermilion Crab Station. She sits on the train, head lulled back against the window, thinking of nothing in particular as the appeaser does their work, sending the everlasting emperor's words into passengers' subconscious minds. Aitai sees the words take root. The tension leaves the air. The tautness of people's worries and anger drains out of them. And they relax, faces slack, eyes closed, all thoughts in perfect harmony. The appeaser shifts and twists within Aitai, a familiar rhythm of little bubbles in her gut, almost as if she were pregnant with her daughter Yu Kim again. The worst enemy is the enemy within, because it could wear the face of your brother or mother. Loyalty to the everlasting emperor should be stronger than the worship offered to ancestors or the respect afforded to parents. The words aren't meant for Ai Tui. They go through her like running water, from the appeaser to her to the passengers on the train. She's the bridge. The appeaser is lodged within her, but they're an alien being and need Aitui and her fellow harmonizers to speak the proper language, to teach them the proper words. Aitui knows all the words. Once, they were the only thing that kept her going. It is the duty of children to die for their parents, and the duty of all subjects to give their life for the everlasting emperor. Though he never asks for more than what is necessary and reasonably born. Aitui has only confused, jumbled memories of her implantation. A white, sterilized room that smells of disinfectant, the smooth voice of doctors and nurses telling her to lie down on the operating table that everything will be fine. 
She woke up with her voice scraped raw as if she'd screamed for hours, with memories of struggling against her restraints. But when she looked at her wrists and ankles, there was no trace of anything, not a single abrasion. And later, alone in her room, a single horrifying recollection, asking about painkillers and the doctors shaking their heads, telling her she had to endure it all without help because analgesics were poison to the appeaser's metabolism. Her roommate Land says that they do give drugs, something to make the harmonizers forget the pain, the hours spent raving and twisting and screaming while the appeasers burrow into their guts. It's all absurd, of course. It must be false impressions brought on by the drugs and the procedure, for why would the everlasting emperor take such bad care of those that serve him? Ai Tui remembers waking up at night after the implantation, shivering and shaking with a terrible hunger. She was alone in the darkness, small and insignificant, and she could call for help, but she didn't matter. The doctors had gone home, and no one would come. No one remembered she was there. Around her, the shadows of the room seemed to twist and come alive. If she turned and looked away, they would swallow her whole, crush her, until nothing was left. She reached for the rice cakes on the table, and they slid into her stomach, as thin and tasteless as paper, doing nothing to assuage the hunger. Empty. She was empty, and nothing would ever fill that hole within her. Not her hunger, not her loneliness. The appeasers, Cut off from the communion of their own kind, they so desperately needed contact to live, so desperately craved warmth and love. You're not alone, I Tui whispered. You are a subject of the everlasting emperor, and he loves you as a father loves his children. You're not alone. Night after night, telling them the words from her training, the ones endlessly welling up out of her like blood out of a wound. The everlasting emperor was human once, but he transcended that condition. He knows all our weaknesses, and he watches over us all. He asks only for respect and obedience in return for endless love. You, we, are part of something so much greater than ourselves, an empire that has always been, that will always been, as timeless as the heavens. Through us, through the work of hundreds of thousands like us, it will endure into this generation and into the next. Night after night, until the words became part of the appeaser, burrowed into them as they had burrowed within Aitui's guts until they ceaselessly spoke in her sleep, giving her back her own words with unwavering strength. Beware what you read. The Gwen Federation reaches everywhere to disseminate their lies. You cannot trust news that hasn't been vetted. Ai Tui gets down at her usual station, White Crane Monastery, close to the barracks. She has one last quadrant to go through on her rounds. 
eggshell Celadon, making sure that the families there understand the cost of war fought beyond the Empire's boundaries and the necessity of the war effort. As she turns into a corridor decorated with a splash of stars, she hears the footsteps behind her, a menial going to work, a kitchen hand like Ai Tui used to be before she volunteered, or a sweeper supervising bots as they clean the quadrant. But at the next corridor, one that holds the machinery of the station rather than cramped family compartments, the footsteps are still here. She turns, briefly, catching a glimpse of hempen clothes, torn sleeves, and the glint of metal. From the appeaser, a vague guess that whoever it is is determined. The appeaser can't read human thoughts, can't interpret them, or the harmonizer's and enforcer's work would be that much simpler. What they know from human behavior, they learned from Ai Tui. Captain Yen's advice to her trainees... Always choose the ground for a confrontation, rather than having choice forced on you. Ai Tui stops at the middle of the corridor. No nooks or crannies, no alcoves where her pursuer can hide. Within her, the appeaser is silent and still, trying to find the proper words of the everlasting emperor for the circumstances, gathering strength for a psychic onslaught. She's expected a group of dissidents, Sergeant Bach said they were getting bolder in the daily briefing, but it's just one person. A woman in shapeless, bot-milled clothes, bottom of the range, face gaunt, eyes sunken deep, lips so thin they look like the slash of a knife. Her hand rests inside her sleeves, fingers bunched. She has a knife or gun. Harmonizer, the woman whispers. How can you? How can you? Ai Tui spreads her hands to show that she is unarmed. Though it isn't true, the appeaser is her best and surest weapon, but only used at the proper time. I serve the everlasting emperor. The woman doesn't answer. She merely quickens her pace. Her hand swings out, and it's a gun that she holds, the barrel glinting in the station's light, running towards Ai Tui and struggling to aim. No time. Ai Tui picks one saying, one piece of wisdom, from all the ones swarming in her mind. The everlasting emperor loves all his subjects like children, and it is the duty of children to bow down to their parents. Bow down and she lets the appeaser hurl it like a thrown stone straight into the woman's thoughts. No subtlety, not the usual quiet influence, the background to everyone's daily lives, just a noise that overwhelms everything like a scream. Bow down. The woman falters even as her gun locks into place. There's a sound like thunder. Ai Tui throws herself to the side, momentarily deafened, comes up for breath, finding herself still alive, the appeaser within her driving her on. Bow down. She reaches the woman, twists a wrist that has gone limp. The gun clatters to the ground. That's the only sound in the growing silence. That and the woman's ragged breath. The appeaser within Ai Tui relaxes slightly. She can feel their disapproval, their fear, cutting it too close. She could have died. They could have died. Ai Tui lifts the woman to her feet effortlessly, 
You shouldn't have done this, she says. Who sent you? She hasn't expected an answer. The woman's mind should still be filled with the single message the appeaser used to drown all cognitive function. But the thin, pale lips part. I sent myself. You, you starve us and expect us to smile. We all sacrifice things. It's the price to pay for safety. I tell you, says, automatically, and then takes another look at the woman, all skin and bones. I tell you, is strong from training, but the woman hardly weighs anything, and her cheeks are far gaunter than even those of menials. And as she looks into the woman's eyes, she sees nothing but raw, naked desperation, an expression she knows all too well. Who sent you? I sent myself. Two years ago, an eternity ago, I Tui looked at that same gaze in the mirror, working herself down to the bone for not enough money, not enough food, going to bed hungry every night, and listening to Yu Kim's hacking cough, and knowing that no doctor would tend to the poor and desperate. She made a choice then. She volunteered for implantation, knowing she might not survive it. Volunteered to serve the everlasting emperor in spite of her doubts. But if she hadn't made that choice, if she'd let fear and frustration and hunger whittle her down to red-hot rage, this might have been her, with a gun. I Tui is meant to call for the enforcers, to turn the woman over to them for questioning, so that they can track down and break the dissident cell or foreign agency that sent her. That would be the loyal, righteous thing to do. But, but she's been here. She knows there's no cell, merely the end of a road, a last, desperate gesture that, if it doesn't succeed, will at least end everything. Aitui walks back to the barracks with the woman over her shoulder. By then, she's all spent and lies in Aitui's grip like wrung cloth. Aitui lays her down in an alcove before the entrance, a little out of sight. Wait here, she says. By the time Aitui comes back, she half expects the woman to be gone, but she's still there, waiting. She sits on the floor with her legs drawn against her, huddling, as though it might make her smaller. Here, Aitui says. She grabbed what she could from the refectory. Couldn't dally, or she'd be noticed, two small rice cakes and a handful of cotton fish. The woman looks at her, warily, snatches all three things out of her hand. Go gently, or you'll just vomit it. Aitui crouches, watching her. The appeaser within her is quiet, curious. It's not poisoned. The woman's laugh is short and unamused. <laughs> I didn't think it was. She nibbles, cautiously, at the rice cakes, eating half of one before she slips the rest inside her sleeves. What's your name? A hesitation. Then, Hen Hua. You'd find out, anyway. I don't have supernatural powers, I Tui says mildly. No, but you have the powers of the state. Hua stops then, afraid she's gone too far. I Tui shakes her head. I'm not going to turn you in. I'd have done it already if I was. 
Why? Aitli shrugs, though she doesn't quite know what to say. Everyone deserves a second chance, I guess. She rises, ignoring the twinges of pain in her muscles. Stay out of trouble, will you? I'd hate to see someone else bring you in. Straying from the everlasting emperor's path is a grievous misconduct. But every misconduct can be atoned for. Every fault can be forgiven. If the proper amends are made, the proper re-education achieved. To Sergeant Ba, at her debriefing in the squad room, Ai Tui says nothing of Hua. She heads next to Captain Yen's office for her weekly interview. The captain sits behind her desk, staring at the aggregated reports of her company, nodding from time to time at something that pleases or bothers her. On the desk before her is a simple Am and Young logo, a half-black, half-white circle curved in the shape of an appeaser, the emblem of the harmonizers. I see your last checkup was three months ago, she says. Ai Tui nods. You're well, I trust? Captain Yin says. Only half a question. No stomach pains, no headaches that won't go away, no blood in your urine. The danger symptoms, the ones Ai Tui could recite by heart, a sign that the delicate symbiosis that links her and the appeaser is out of kilter, and that they could both die. I... I don't think so, Ai Tui says. Yen looks at her for a while. You don't look like yourself, she says, frowning. She knows. No, there is no way she can know. Ai Tui draws a deep, ragged breath. There's so much unease, she says, finally, a half-truth. People are taut, like a string about to snap. And there is only so much slack the harmonizers can pick up, only so much wisdom they can dispense to people whose only thoughts and worries are what they'll be eating come tomorrow. I see. Why do you think that is? Gaunt eyes, and Hua's thin, bruised lips, and the careful way she's hoarded the food, forgiving to someone else. Ai Tui says, finally, may I speak freely? Always, Yin frowns. This isn't a jail or a re-education camp. We trust your loyalty. Of course they do, and of course they can. Ai Tui would never do anything against the everlasting emperor. He keeps the fabric of society together. The war effort against the Gwen Confederation is costly. Food is more and more expensive, and this creates anger, jealousy. They think the soldiers favored. And the harmonizers, and the enforcers, and the scholars that keep the machinery of the empire going. Yen doesn't speak for a while. Her broad face is emotionless. They would, she says. But the soldiers pay dearly for that food. People on the station aren't at risk of losing limbs or pieces of their mind or being tortured for information on the empire. Ai Tui can feel distantly Yen's own appeaser, a thin thread at the back of her mind, whispering about love and need and duty, all the sayings she already knows by heart. She says, I know this. And they don't? 
Yin sighs. I'm not questioning your conclusions, Private, but as you know, the war isn't going well. The everlasting emperor is going to announce an increase of the war effort. You said the soldiers paid for the food because they were at greater risk, but we, Ai Tui says. Yen raises an eyebrow. Are we not? Her gaze is sardonic, and Ai Tui remembers Hua's gun going off, the thunder filling her ears. We'll be the first against the wall if things do break down. It sounds like a warning, though Ai Tui isn't sure who she means it for. Perhaps us, the appeaser whispers, but they barely sound worried. Only about Hua, which surprises Ai Tui, but of course they would know all about hunger and need. There's much unrest, Yen says. I don't want you to patrol in pairs, you cover less ground, but it might become necessary. Private King was attacked by a group of three dissidents masquerading as beggars and only barely escaped. Is he? Ai Tui asks, but Yen shook her head. He's fine. We didn't manage to catch them, though. Yen sounds annoyed. Cinnabar Mansion's quadrant reported two riots in as many weeks. As you said, people are wound taut. But we'll be fine, Ai Tui says, before she can think. Of course we will. The Empire has weathered wars and fire and riots long before we were both born, Yen says. She makes a gesture with her hands. Dismissed, Private. Enjoy your rest. It's only after Ai Tui has left the office, halfway to her room, and the light comedy vid she was looking forward to, that she realizes that the warm feeling of utter certainty within her is from Yen's appeaser. The foundations of the everlasting empire, the censors rooting out disinformation from vids and newscasts, the scholars making the laws everyone must abide by, the harmonizers and enforcers keeping the fabric of the empire clear of dissidents, and the soldiers defending the borders against enemy incursions. There's someone at the gates asking after you, little sis, <laughs> Lan says. She laughs, throwing her head back in a gesture so familiar it's barely annoying anymore. A menial from your old life? Lan comes from the inner rings, the wealthiest station inhabitants. She caused some scandal at an examination, and her family gave her the choice of enlisting with the harmonizers or with the soldiers on the front. She's Ai Tui's roommate, and she means well, but sometimes her assumptions about people great. To wit, Ai Tui didn't keep contact with anyone from her old workplaces. Such attachments aren't encouraged, in any case. It can't be second aunt, because Ai Tui is currently in communication with home and spoke to her not a minute past. Can you ask them to wait, Ai Tui says. Her time for outside calls is almost up, in any case. She turns back to Yu Kim. Sorry, duty calling. Her daughter makes a grimace in her field of vision. She's a ghostly overlay in Ai Tui's implants, a tall, willowy girl who seems to have shot up three heads since Ai Tui was last given a permission home. 
Captain Yen, she looks as though she's about to laugh. Fine, but can you tell Great Aunt I want the network key? Ai Tui purses her lips. She told me you hacked it and had every wall display copies of Han Shang's poems, the more explicit ones. As practice, Yu Kim snorts. Too easy. She's growing up too fast, too strong. Ai Tui wants to tell her to be careful. But there's nothing illegal or reprehensible in what she's doing, just harmless pranks, the kind even the everlasting emperor would smile upon. But where does dissidence start? She has no answer. She logs off in spite of Yu Kim's complaints, promising her that she'll have a word with Second Aunt, wondering once again how time passes, how little she sees of her own daughter. Sacrifices aren't necessary, but they are all the more valued when they do occur. The appeaser within her is sad. There's a peculiar tautness in her mind, as if the entire world were about to come apart. She understands that they're sad too, grieving for time lost. Thank you, she says aloud, shaking her head. But it's nothing we can't survive. Warmth from within her, a sated need. The appeaser curls back to their usual watchful self, chewing on sayings and wisdom they might need for their next patrol. Outside the gates, Hua is waiting for her. Ai Tui fights off the urge to pinch herself. I didn't think that I'd come back. Hua is still gaunt and pale. But there's a light in her eyes that wasn't there before. Ai Tui is afraid to ask where it comes from, but Hua merely shakes her head. I found a second job. She grins, waving a basket towards Ai Tui, and I owe you a meal. They walk towards a nearby white space in silence. Ai Tui reaches out, deftly shaping a small corner of it into a lush green space, like the jungles and the stories of her childhood. Hua sits down at the foot of a huge fig tree, setting down the basket between ghostly roots. Ai Tui hasn't reshaped reality; merely added a layer of illusion that they share across their implants. Inside the basket are four puffed-up dough pieces and grilled maize. Hua hands them out, grimacing. I wasn't sure if she pauses, embarrassed. If you ate more, Ai Tui guesses the unsaid words, because of the appeaser, a little but not much. It's not like being pregnant. The appeaser is small and will never grow within her. They have already had their children. The next generation of appeasers raised in tanks for implantation. In the next generation of trainees, they eat the first fried dough piece in silence, not quite sure what to say to each other. Ai Tui doesn't know why Hua came back. She says finally, "I saw you take the rice cakes. You have a family." Hua looks at her for a while. I thought you knew everything. Ai Tui laughs. I wish, but no, I'm not the census office. A toddler, Hua says, three years old. 
mine is older, I Tui says with a sigh, thirteen years old and all opinions. She's not sure why, she says. I almost never see her. Duty. <laughs> Hua laughs, a little sadly. It doesn't sound strained or forced, though the atmosphere is still tense. You're different. From other harmonizers? Ai Tui shrugs and finally speaks the truth. I was where you are, once, working in a restaurant in the daytime and cleaning the corridors at night, starving myself to feed my child. Hua is staring at her. That's why you became a harmonizer? For money? There is an edge to her voice, a hint of disapproval that's not meant to exist. Captain Yen is right. The fabric of society is fraying. Because I had nowhere else to go, Ai Tui says simply. Because, because I listened to the voice of the everlasting emperor, and he gave me a second chance. You've never seen him, Hua says. A question, a challenge. Once, Ai Tui says, she doesn't need to close her eyes to remember. She was standing at the back of the harmonizer's ranks, and even from there she felt the radiance of his presence. Wave after wave of warmth filling her, the world wavering and bending until it was all she could do not to fall on her knees. He was everything they say he was, and more. Hua is silent for a while. Faith, she says, and her voice is full of wonder. I thought... She shakes her head. I suppose it takes a lot to get implanted. May I... Her hand reaches out, resting close to Ai Tui's torso. Ai Tui nods. Hua's fingers rest on her gut, pressing down lightly. The appeaser gurgles within her, kicks toward Hua, who withdraws as if burnt. The appeaser's disappointment burns an Ai Tui like acid, spreading outwards through the only channel they know how to use. Before the everlasting emperor, all citizens are weighed equally. The only thing that matters is their loyalty. Hua takes one, two steps backwards, her face twisting as the full blast of emotions hits her. What? They're hurt, Ai Tui says, because you think they're less than human. Hua opens her mouth. She's going to say that of course they're not human, that they're just an alien parasite, and all the insults Ai Tui has hurled at her by dissidents. Ai Tui cuts her off before she can speak. They're lonely. Always lonely. That's the price they pay for service to the everlasting emperor. Hua closes her mouth. Her face goes through contortions. I'm sorry. And she kneels, hand held out, making it clear that it's not to Ai Tui that she's apologizing. Warmth spreading through Ai Tui, the appeaser. They like her. 
Hua reaches out, holds out a piece of dough again. Hungry? she asks. Ai Tui eats it. It feels sweeter than honey as it slides down her throat, the appeaser's approval, a small sun within her, spreading to all her limbs, an odd, unsettling, but welcome feeling. At length, Hua speaks again. So they're starving you, too. Ai Tui shakes her head. I don't understand of love and kin and warmth. Hua's voice is sad, hollowing you out and leaving nothing but words. Ai Tui wants to say something about wisdom, about the everlasting emperor, about necessary sacrifices, but the words seem to shrivel in her mouth. Hua's burning eyes hold her, the same desperate need she saw in them back when she almost arrested her, except that it's pity? I'm sorry. You shouldn't be doing this to yourself, Hua says again, and it is pity. Compassion. She doesn't understand. She doesn't see how much the everlasting emperor keeps Ai Tui going, doesn't understand how much the words mean, how they keep the world together. Except that Yui Qing is growing up without her, and all that Ai Tui can remember is the appeaser's desperate, lonely hunger, a bottomless well that nothing can ever fill. She's up and running away from the park before she can think, heedless to Hua's calls. She only stops when she gets to her room, breathing hard and feeling as though the air she inhales never reaches her burning lungs. The everlasting emperor has always been and will always be. The empire is as long-lasting as the stars in the heavens, as long as the bonds between mother and daughter, between brother and brother endure, then it, too, shall. There is a noise outside like the roar of the sea. Ai Tui wakes up, and the sound swells to fill her entire universe. Mother? Mother? Yu Kim through her implants. Child, how did you... Her daughter's voice is tight on the verge of panic. Hacked your comms. That's not the point, Mother. You need to move. They said there are riots all over the station. What? How? Ai Tui fumbles, trying to find something solid. She rubs a hand on her guts, feeling the reassuring mass of the appeaser within her. Child? Child? Yu Qin's voice comes in fast, words jumbled together. The everlasting emperor ordered the closure of half the granaries across all quadrants. An enforcer shot someone and then closure. Why? For the war effort? Ai Tui asks. But there's no answer. Nothing but silence on the comms now. But the roar is still there and she knows it's that of a crowd massed at the gates. She could call up the outside cameras on her implants, but there's no point. It's night in the barracks. Lan is on patrol. Should be, if she wasn't caught in the riots. Ai Tui has known for a while that things are taught, but for riots to be this widespread, this fast? 
things are bad, very bad. Ai Tui hits the general alert on the network. She heads to the squad room first, but it's deserted and silent, and shifts course to get to Yen's office. She finds the captain putting on her jacket, straightening her official rank patch on her chest, the eyes of the tiger shining in the dim light. Captain, I know. Yen's voice is curt. Mankind is but one step away from lawlessness. Only the word of heaven and of the everlasting emperor keeps us from becoming monsters to one another. Barely contained panic within Ai Tui. Yen's appeaser, not hers. Hers is silent and watchful, but not surprised. We have to hold, Captain Yen says. We need to reestablish harmony and order. She shakes her head, again that feeling of rising panic within Ai Tui, the edge of something so strong Yen can barely contain it. Captain, Yen is halfway to the door already. There's no time, Private. Come. Something is wrong. Not the riot, not the crowd, not what seems like a station-wide panic. Captain Yen wouldn't lose her head over something like that, and she's not currently broadcasting emotions at Ai Tui. Whatever causes that panic is so strong that it's simply spilling outwards, like the hurt of Ai Tui's appeaser when Hua wouldn't touch them. And why hasn't she mentioned reinforcements? Captain, Ai Tui says again, we'll hold, but what about Plum Blossom Company? Yen turns then. For a moment, her composure breaks, and the face she shows to Ai Tui is the white ashen one of a corpse, a bewildered, lost, and hungry ghost. The dissidents have overwhelmed the palace of heaven and earth, private. The everlasting emperor is dead. Dead. No. The roar in Ai Tui's ear isn't the sound of the crowd. It's a long, desperate scream that scrapes her throat raw, and she can't tell if it's coming from her or the appeaser. How can he? She starts, stops, unable to voice the enormity of it. How? Yen has pulled herself together again. I don't know, she says. But that's not what matters. There are no reinforcements coming, Private. Outside, on Ai Tui's implants, the crowd has trampled the two harmonizers guarding the gates. A press of people is battering at the gates, and it's only a matter of time until the fragile metal gives way. Dead. The Empire is as long-lasting as the stars in the heavens, as the bonds of filial duty between parents and children. The Empire. They'll die, holding the barracks, die trying to impose harmony on a crowd that's too large and too big for them to control. Captain, we can't. I know we can't hold. Yin is at the door. She doesn't turn around anymore. Ai Tui calls up the inside of the gates on her implants, sees another press. Kim Ku and Duyet and Vu and half the harmonizers in the barracks in a loose formation that mixes all squads under the orders of Sergeant Ba and Sergeant Hong, sending wave after wave of appeasers' thoughts toward the crowd, trying to calm them down. It's like 
throwing stones and hoping to stop the ocean. Yen says, We swore an oath to the Emperor, Private, loyalty unto death. Yen's appeaser, warmth and contentment within Ai Tui, the satisfaction of duty done to the bitter end. It is the duty of all subjects to give their life. Within Ai Tui, her appeaser stirs, brings up not the everlasting emperor's voice, but Hua's compassion-filled gaze, Hua's voice, a rock against which the other appeaser's thoughts shatter. You shouldn't be doing this to yourself. It's not, Ai Tui says. She's surprised at how steady her voice sounds. I beg your pardon? Yen stops then. It's not our duty, Ai Tui says. That's not how the saying ends, Captain. He never asks for more than what is necessary and reasonably born. The everlasting emperor is dead. There is nothing that says they have to die, too. Ai Tui's appeaser has fallen silent, knowing exactly what she wants. She feels the thoughts from Yin's appeaser, dancing on the edge of her mind. Duty, loyalty, death, a trembling wall she can barely hold at bay for long. Yin moves back into her office, comes to stand before her. This isn't a discussion, Private. It's an order. Necessary. Reasonably born. Ai Tui uncoils, then, even as within her the appeaser moves, a psychic onslaught centered around a single, pinpoint thought. Yen grunts, goes down on one knee, eyes rolling up in her face, and Ai Tui's hand strikes her jugular, taking her down. Ai Tui stands, breathing hard over Yen's unconscious body. For a moment, at a loss, at what she's done, what she should do. But there is only one thing that she can do, after all. The rioters will come for their families next, and neither Second Aunt nor Yu Kim have had any training in combat or eluding pursuers. There's a risk she'll lead the crowd straight to them, but it's offset by what she and the appeaser can bring them. She can help. She has to. Ai Tui thinks of the other harmonizers, lined against the doors and waiting for them to cave in. She heads towards the squad room. Within her, rising emptiness, a howling need. How will they survive with the everlasting emperor dead? What does wisdom mean anymore if its incarnation is no more? Nothing. There is nothing left. In the squad room... There's only Lan, bloodied and out of breath, who smiles grimly at her. It's a war zone out there. Fortunately, they haven't found the back door yet, but I don't know how long we can hold. Ai Tui's voice comes from very far away, a stranger's, utterly emotionless, because the alternative would be an endless scream. The everlasting emperor is dead. Captain Yen says to run. To scatter back to our families, there's no point in holding. We've already lost. They've lost everything. They, for a long, agonizingly long moment, Lan stares at her, as if she knew, as if she could read straight.
straight into Aitoli's mind. She smiles again, almost with fondness. Families, of course. Her hand rests lightly on Aitoli's shoulder, squeezes once, twice. I'll tell them, though not everyone will listen. But you run, Lil Sis. And then she's gone, and it's just Aitoli. Walking through empty corridors towards the back of the barracks, the roar of the crowd receding into meaninglessness. It's not too late. She can go out of the barracks, go back the way Lan came from, go get her aunt and daughter before the rioters find new targets. She can run as fiercely as far away as she can to the heart of the Gwen Federation, if need be. They can make a new life. One that's no longer in service to the everlasting emperor. They can. The emperor is dead, and nothing will ever be right again. The appeaser reaching again and again for words, remembering that they mean nothing now. Shh, Aitoli says aloud to the appeaser. It'll be all right. It's nothing we can't survive, and slowly. Gently sings the lullabies she used to sing to Yu Kim when she was a child, again and again, as they both run from the shadow of the barracks, again and again, until the songs fill the hollow, wordless silence within her. The end. And there you go. A huge thank you. Alia, thank you so much indeed. It's an honour to have you back on the show. And Amy, you've just nailed that. Nailed that to the mass. Thank you so much. Ladies, it has been an honour and a pleasure. Well, that is it for... That's it, I think. With that little kind of shout there, I might have woke her up, to be honest. So I am now going back to carry a little poo bags around with us and wet wipes and disinfectant. That's my life for the next 68 weeks. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon But the work is going slowly It won't get to you anytime soon Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you This signal's going light speed By the time I get my say I might already be on to you and on my way But you're so far from here And at best I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you I want to talk to you
be on my way If I could catch myself on a radio wave I might get to you someday If books were rocket ships I'd need only the will to fly I'm still building word by word And I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there I'll get out there by and by 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 